Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. You know, Hebrews can be a, a confusing book if you don't understand where it fits dispensationally. Uh, in fact, a lot of people get confused about a lot of things out of the book of Hebrews. And um, the, you know, Hebrews is, is very much a transitional book. It's, it's going from old to new. You see that, that distinction over and over and over again. And uh, here in Hebrews chapter 5, if we just begin in verse 1, It says, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron." So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together this weekend. We, we uh, just thank you for these things from your word and this book of Hebrews that reveals so much uh, to us about the, the work of your son, especially with regard to Israel. We... Uh, just thank you that that uh, when we understand how to how to rightly divide your word, just for the clarity that it gives and the understanding that it gives uh, of these things, we thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. You see here uh, the the beginning verses here of chapter five um, describe the position of high priest. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament. Israel had a, a priestly system that God established. And out of the, the 12 tribes of Israel, God took one tribe, the tribe of Levi, and he set them apart to himself. They're, they're a, a tithe, really, uh, of the nation of Israel uh, to serve him. And out of that tribe, he took one family, the family of Aaron, to be the priests. And Aaron was the first high priest, and that passed to his son uh, upon his death. And you have this, this priestly system that God established. It's important to understand that. That's not a, a system that man established. Certainly there are religious systems and, and priestly systems, uh, even in place today, that men have set up. Uh, because often that can that can lend a great deal of power, um, you know, those kinds of religious systems. But there was this was a system that God set up for the nation of Israel, and 
those priests had various duties that they performed, but the the uh, you know all those sacrifices. When you go back into the Old Testament, you read about all the various sacrifices that were taking place all the time in Israel, and uh, and especially when you consider you know the, just the many observances that had to be performed around the feast days and and different things. Those priests were busy people. And God made special provision for them. Uh, that that service that they performed, there were you know there were uh, uh, special provisions that God had for them to to uh, provide for them since they weren't out. You know the the priests, as that family of Aaron grew, you know probably all the priests weren't necessarily there serving at the temple all the time, but certainly they had. They had commitments there at least part of the year. And because they weren't out uh, providing for their families and things in other ways like uh, like the, the rest of the nation would have been, God made provision for them. And so when you read about all the different sacrifices, you realize there were parts of those sacrifices that went to the priest, um, you know, various things to to provide for him. And and God really lays out that system in a great a great uh, degree of. Of detail, uh, you know, in our in our family at meal times, we always read a, a chapter of scripture, and we just recently read through the the uh, book of Leviticus, and and you have that's really a manual. The book of Leviticus is really kind of the the manual of the temple: how to do these sacrifices, what to do when, uh, you know, what what parts of the sacrifice are are burned up completely to God, what parts of the sacrifice go to the priest, what you know, all those different instructions are given there in the in the book of Leviticus. And you had one priest that was the high priest. And the high priest had certain things that only he could perform. For instance, on the day of atonement, one of the one of the uh, important feast days in the Jewish religious calendar, on the day of atonement it was the high priest alone that would take the blood behind the veil into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Only he could do it. Nobody else could do it. Um, he was the only, only person that was qualified. And he better do everything right because if he didn't do everything right, he would die. That was a, a very important duty that the high priest had. Now, that system became corrupted. In fact, if you, you, know, you read in the Gospels, you see they had, they had two high priests. You wonder, where did they ever get that from? They didn't get it from God. They, you know, like man does, uh, man takes the things of God and twists them and, and perverts them into, into other things. But um, the, the, the reference here in Hebrews would be to that system that God established. And you see, it describes the the position of high priest. It says every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. That high priest is ordained for men. He's chosen for men. There's There's some service that he performs that is for the benefit of men. And he's ordained, it says, in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so uh, men would come and and the priest would offer their gifts and their sacrifices. A gift would be something that that, uh, man is giving to God. Uh, Sacrifices would be a, a means for man to get something from God, to get 
the atonement that God uh, said they would have as a, as a result of that system. And it says in verse 2 that, that that high priest can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. Uh, a priest is very much a go-between, between man and God. Uh, you see, he's, he's uh, ordained for men in things pertaining to God. And that priest has to be able to relate to the people that he's serving. It says there, he can have compassion on the ignorant. He can have compassion on them that are out of the way because he's also compassed with infirmity. Verse 3, it says, By reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And it says, No man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. The high priest doesn't get to be high priest by taking it on himself. But God chose Aaron and God chose that line to, to, uh, for that priesthood to, to carry on. Uh, that's, that's part of the reason, I think, for God. You know, you wonder why in, in some things, you know, you had, you had these three positions in Israel of prophet, priest, and king. Priest and king were both hereditary. Prophet was not. God would choose somebody to be a prophet. Um, you know, and you wonder, well, why is that? You know, why, why have, why have them be hereditary? That, you know, you can look down in history. That doesn't often seem to be a, a good way to choose leaders just by picking the oldest son of the last leader after he dies. Uh, it doesn't always work out too well. But, but the point there was that it, it wasn't, it wasn't a position that you could go and campaign for. You couldn't decide, I want to be the high priest, and so, you know. So I'll go get enough people to support me and, and I'll get in that position. Now, I suspect that's why in, in Christ's day, that's why they had two high priests, because they had turned it into some position like that. They weren't following what God had established. But that's, that's the point that's made here is the person who's there as high priest, he didn't get there by taking it on himself. God showed, he set up, he set up that system. And after describing there the, the priestly system, of the Old Testament, you see verse 5 says, So also Christ glorified not Himself to be made in high priest. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't, didn't uh, you know, come into the, the world and, and grow up and decide, I'm going I'm to make myself a high priest. He had it by virtue of who He was. He had it by virtue of who His Father was. And... and uh, it says, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord Jesus Christ, because of who his father was, was entitled to be the high priest. Now, understand that the Lord Jesus Christ in his, in his earthly ministry really was not serving in that position of, of high priest. Um, this is something that's that's described by by virtue. I mean, you you could say uh, maybe maybe the one place in his earthly ministry where you could say he was was at the cross itself when he's offering himself. Uh, you realize he's he's everything in that operation. He's the he's the sacrifice. He's the priest. He he's all of it. Um, but but God chose him to be 
a high priest. Verse 7, it says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Um, Verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He had to be made perfect. There, was, there were some things that had to happen for him to, to be that high priest. Now, um, just like the, the high priest in the Old Testament, it said he could have compassion on the ignorant and them who are out of the way because he himself was encompassed, encompassed with infirmity. In the same way, the priest in the Old Testament had to be able to relate to the people he was serving as priests. The Lord Jesus Christ came and took on human flesh so that he could serve in that capacity. And, and it describes here, you know, there's some statements made here in these verses about the Lord Jesus Christ that um, really when you, when you think about them, uh, maybe are a little difficult to understand because when we, when we consider who Christ is, uh, that he's not just, you understand, he's not just a person like you and I, but rather, the Lord Jesus Christ, God, who was with God in the beginning, became a man. You, you see some statements here that, that uh, are maybe a little bit perplexing. For one thing, it says at the end of verse 7 that he feared. Now, when you think about Jesus Christ as God, what, when would God ever fear anything. Uh, you know, fear would have to be something so alien to God because there, there's absolutely nothing, there's nothing that, no reason for God to fear anything. Not only that, it says of Jesus Christ, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. God, as God, never obeys anybody. There's nobody for him to obey. There's no authority. There's no legitimate authority over God that would, that would call him to obey anything. Uh, I mean, if there's anything that God obeys, it would be his own nature. I mean, certainly, uh, the scripture says, for instance, that God cannot lie, but that's not because some authority has imposed that as a restriction upon him. That's because his nature is such that he cannot lie. And, and yet here it says of the Lord Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, that he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And then in verse 9 it says, in being made perfect. God's never needed to be made perfect. He's always been perfect. But you see, these things are describing Jesus Christ in his humanity. And, and you know, reconciling those those two natures of Christ, um, that, can, that can confuse you sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes people get, get bent out of shape about that, about, um, you know, referring to Jesus Christ as a man. But let's not forget, he's fully God and he is fully man. See, what it's describing here is it's not describing Jesus Christ as God, but it's describing him as man. And it's important that Jesus Christ was a man. 
Because he can't be your Savior and my Savior unless he's a man. He can't be the, the high priest that it's going to describe here unless he's a man. In order for, for him to, to accomplish the things that God the Father had for him to accomplish, he had to become a man and not just pretend to be a man. Um, but, you know, there, there are places in the Old Testament where God appears as a man. He takes on that, that form and appears to people, appears to Abraham, appears to, to, to different people as a man. But back there in the Old Testament, he appeared as a man, but he didn't become a man. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God becomes man. So that he can be that mediator, that, that daysman that can lay hold on, on both man and God so that, so that man can approach God. So that he can be, in a passage like this, the high priest. God, you know, God the Father, um, he is separate from sin. But here it says a high priest has to be compassed about with infirmity. He, God steps down into the the cesspool of humanity, right? He, without sin, he didn't sin himself, but he sure was compassed about with it, wasn't he? And he he comes down into this world and you see the things that he suffered as a man. Now, it says he did this in the days of his flesh. That's not who he is anymore. The Lord Jesus Christ, glorified in heaven at the right hand of the Father today, is not fearing and suffering, and he's not learning obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, understand, he's in complete obedience to the Father. But he's not learning obedience through suffering today. He's not being made perfect. He's already been made perfect. And, and so this is describing Jesus Christ as a man here. Uh, it, it says that when he had offered up prayers and supplications, verse 7 again, uh, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now, it's describing there, you know, you think about when did, when did Christ uh, deliver up, you know, when did he offer up prayers and supplications and, and it mentions the tears there uh, to him that was able to save him from death? It's talking about the night before his crucifixion there in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying to God, praying that he would deliver him. I want you to notice it well as well. It says that he was heard and that he feared. But remember what he prayed? He, he prayed to the Father. You know, if there was any way for that cup to pass from him, that cup of the, of the wrath of God that he was about to experience, he prayed if there was any way for that, that uh, cup to pass from him, that, you know, that's really what he, what he would have preferred. But what did he do? He subjected his will to the will of God the Father. And the verse here says God heard that prayer. Now, God didn't cause the cup to pass from him, did he? That's, a, that's an important lesson to understand in prayer. Um, when you pray to God and you give Him all the things that you want Him to do for you, and that doesn't come to pass, it doesn't mean He didn't hear. It, here He heard the Lord Jesus Christ, but those things He went through, there was a purpose behind them. And uh, He heard Him. He was heard in that He feared. But it says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And, and you know, we talk about the, the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. You realize the Father suffered in that as well. 
Um, can you can you imagine? It wasn't when when Christ prayed that to God the Father. It wasn't that the Father was just hard hearted and said, "No, you you're gonna you're gonna go to that cross." Uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine uh, the restraint on God's part not to reach out and save His Son? Though He were a Son, it says, "Yet learned the obedience by the things which He suffered, and being made perfect." Now. Prior to the incarnation of Christ, he was perfect in a in a certain sense, right? He was he was perfect. And that word perfect in the Bible, usually when you see it in your King James Bible, it means complete. Okay, so it's not necessarily talking about, uh, for instance, sinless perfection. Uh, you know, certainly Christ was perfect in his earthly ministry in the sense that he never sinned. Okay, he was perfect in that sense. But but usually when when your King James Bible is using the word perfect, it's meaning complete. And and you understand that when the Lord Jesus Christ uh, came into human flesh and and came into this world as the God man, as God in human flesh. um, I mean, he was perfect in the sense of righteousness. He was perfect perfectly you could say he was perfectly man and perfectly god but there were some things that were not yet complete in him there were some things that weren't completed until later you remember uh just before his death on the cross when he says it is finished there was a work that he came to perform and and even you know that work of the cross is was finished there uh you know there's uh, there's some people around that teach that uh, after the death of the cross, that Jesus suffered in hell for sins. Uh, now, it's true, he went into the heart of the earth. That's certainly true, but he wasn't going there in suffering. The suffering was done at that point. Um, the, the suffering of the cross was finished. And he, he uh, certainly goes into the heart of the earth, but he rises from the dead three days later and he ascends to the Father and all that work is complete today. Now, there's still some things yet to be fulfilled as far as prophetic things with Israel. He's still going to, to uh, gather, gather the body of Christ to himself in the rapture. And he's going to fulfill those prophetic events and establish a kingdom on earth. But as far as, as, far as uh, the payment for sin, it's complete. It's, it's, it's been, it's been uh, taken care of. There's nothing more for you or I to, to pay. And in the context of this passage, being made perfect in verse 9, having completed that work, it says he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so with the, with the perfection of that work, he can serve as a high priest for the nation of Israel. Now, you know, in Paul's epistles, he does not refer to Christ as our high priest. Uh, Christ is our head. Even in a few places, he refers to him as our king. But never does he refer to him as, as our high priest. That's, this is all something that has to do with Israel. And you realize that there are, there are, are, are spiritual things that have to do with Israel. And there are spiritual things that have to do with the body of Christ. And they have some similarities between them. Certainly we can, we can uh, read a passage like this in, in uh, the book of Hebrews and see some things that would apply to us. But the way we know that what 
what applies to us is because we, you know, we compare it back over with what the Apostle Paul writes to the body of Christ. And uh, we can see the similarities and things there. But, but uh, Christ serves as a high priest for the nation of Israel. And um, not only that, he serves as a king for the nation of Israel, a prophet for the nation of Israel. Um, he, he serves in all of those positions. But uh, he has a, a priesthood uh, with respect to that nation. And uh, verse, verse 11, you know, when you, when you uh, move from verse 10 to, to verse 11, you're kind of changing gears a little bit. In fact, there's a little bit of rebuke here for these Hebrews. In fact, you, you, you see that throughout the book. There's, there's some teaching about, you know, usually a comparison, old, new, and then why aren't you guys going forward into the new? Right. Or or, uh, you know, why why do you keep going back to the old? And, and you see in verse 11, it says of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And this, this group of people that this author is writing to, they were not new believers. These were not, you know, he, he says, the time ye ought to be teachers. These, these are people who, this isn't the first they've heard of these things that, that uh, the author here is writing to them. Um, he's saying, you know these things well enough. You ought to be teachers. But instead of being teachers, because you keep, you keep halting between these two opinions, because you keep going back to these old things, you continually have this need for somebody to, to come back and go back to these first principles and, and you know, make these things clear for you. Um, chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. See, those things that, that he lists there, those are the foundational things of this this kingdom program uh, this you know this uh, remnant of Israel that are the the intended audience here uh, repentance from dead works faith toward God baptisms uh, laying on of hands notice it's not one baptism there in that verse but baptisms there are baptisms that are part of the foundational things for Israel uh, resurrection eternal judgment he says we're going we're going to leave those things behind and we're going to go into some some other things. We're going to move on, go on unto perfection. And verse 4 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, 
receiveth blessing from God, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. Now, here again is this is this warning. OK, and. As you know, he, he tells them, they ought to be they ought to be teachers. They ought to be ones teaching these things, but they keep having somebody need to come back and and teach them the basic things. And there's a warning here uh, about some people that it describes as having been once enlightened, tasted of the heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Ghost. It says they've tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. The warning is, it says, if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance. Uh, in fact, he says that what they do is they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And, and what he's describing here are some people who are halting between two opinions. Um, some people that aren't going on to, to perfection. And by going backwards, they put themselves in a position where it says it's impossible to renew them to repentance again. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.